I'm Logan Bishop from Belmont University. And I'm Jenna Spinelli from Penn State. You're listening to Higher Ed Social, part of the Connect EDU network. COVID wasn't, this year wasn't just about COVID or a presidential debate or, you know, the tornado or the recent floods or anything like that. It was insurrection. Oh yeah. The insurrection. Forgot about that. Um, It was, it was more like personally, I feel, I I felt alone. Like I strange thing to talk about, but you know, finally talking to people again and, and, getting my confidence as a person back. Like, I feel like I lost that. Um, and yeah, it, it's, it's, it's sad. Um, but you know, it feels good now. Yay. Um, <laughs> I bought rollerblades. I went rollerblading last week. That was, that was great. That was great. Like, okay. So I've been running and I was like, you know, I should probably, I want to exercise every day, but I can't run every day because that's kind of bad for your knees, especially when you're approaching 40. So, um, so I got rollerblades, <laughs> which is a very approaching 40 thing to get, I guess. Yeah. I was going to ask about that as well. What's the thought process there where you're like, hmm. well, I used to do it back in the day uh, and okay. Okay. as I've been running, like I've almost been run over by rollerbladers like several times. So I was like, you know, Maybe it's cool again because these folks look cool. Give it right? a shot. Yeah. Give it a shot. They don't look. They don't look in any way creepy or weird. Um, so maybe I can do it. Uh, so I did, and um, I somehow, of all the muscles to pull while you're rollerblading, I pulled a muscle in my shoulder. Um, I, it's the swinging back and forth. Oh, I did yeah. not expect that. I did not expect that either. Um, Cause you know, of all the sports that I've tried during COVID, I tried rock climbing too. And, um, you know, going up the wall doesn't mess with me as much as coming down. And, and then it takes me like 10 minutes to like get over the nausea of letting go of a rock face and trusting a rope to, to slowly lower me down over three stories that that's, Oh, that's a good point. We uh, we just had a climbing gym open here. Now that I'm vaccinated, I was excited to try it. But now you're I'm like, oh, I didn't even think about the coming down well, part. Thanks, the Logan. The nausea, it only happens on the way down. <laughs> um, because the thing is, is that the rope, now, even if someone's holding it for you, um, or you're using an auto belay, which does it for you, there's like this half a second of actual free fall. Give. Yeah. And... The it's where you're alive. Hope. It's where you're alive. You have to get used to it. You have to get used to it. And I, and I kind of got used to it, but I also hit a wall. Like, I mean, literally a wall, but. I was going to say, yeah. I, I literally, like, there, there's different, like, like how hard it is. Like, um, all the walls that are doing were, like, grade five, but then they're, like, point this grades. And I couldn't really get past, like, five point six or 5.7 and it goes up to 5.12 and there's only like three of those beginnery ones. And, um, I had to let the kids climb it. Um, 
And I see all the people my age, like with these huge muscles, just climbing up these like 11s and like hanging upside down and then jumping over to this other thing. And I just, I realized I would never be that person. Yeah. You'll appreciate this in the vein of random uh, 2020 injuries. I was diagnosed with tennis elbow uh, after moving a cord of firewood from my driveway where the people who delivered it dumped it and then carrying it into the backyard and it, the, the gripping made me pull the, I don't know, there's the epicondylitis is the name of the, I know more about the names of the tendons and ligaments in my elbow (laughs) than I ever wanted to, but yeah. So that's like, I, I don't play tennis. I've never played (laughs) tennis, but now I have tennis elbow from 2020. Well, congratulations. Yeah. That's a true accomplishment. (laughs) Um, much more of an accomplishment than, you know, pulling your shoulder the third time you go rollerblading. That is impressive though. That's one of those things that you like, you you don't don't expect. Yeah. Yeah. You do not expect it. I guess it's, it's roller, roller elbow. I I don't know. (laughs) Roller shoulder. Roller shoulder. shoulder. Yep. Yep. I've I've started to actually make use (laughs) of the, like I bought this like roller, um, massage thing because that's apparently what runners should use i've never used it a foam roller is it like a big it's not foam it's it's actually like little balls going all the way down it yeah 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 um and and you use different parts of the roll Mm -hmm. um on different things and you know i i've never actually injured myself running which is you know knock on knock on wood um and i've run like six or seven half marathons now nice um and, and somehow I've never actually hurt myself. However, you know, I rollerblade twice and I've hurt myself. Um, but I've never used that. I've never used that roller until the rollerblade in- injury. And yeah, I, I think what it is, is I was just trying too hard not to fall that I just hurt mm. myself. Yeah. You're tense. Um, you weren't, you, you weren't going with the flow. You weren't relaxed. You weren't in the zone. You were like, oh, don't let me fall. Don't let me fall. Well, back in the day, I used to, I used to rollerblade in college. Like I would rollerblade in like science lab to the somehow, I don't know why my professors let me do it. I guess they just thought it was, (laughs) um, but you know, I did that in college and I thought it was so cool. And then I was like, uh, I need to buy a new pair. And then I never did. Um, so I kind of stopped and you know, the, the, the early two thousands happened and then it wasn't cool anymore. So I stopped. Yeah. But but anyway, we, we've talked a lot about Logan's adventures and Doug's adventures. <laughs> Doug, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do? Yeah. Hi, I'm Doug McKenna. I'm the university registrar at George Mason University. Um, I've been in higher ed for almost, I, I've, I've been saying almost 20 years, but it's actually only 19 years. Before that, I worked for IBM for a little while. Um, what do I do? That's a great question. Um, the registrar is one of those magical positions where nobody on campus understands what the registrar does, but a university can't function without them. We're literally the second administrative position uh, created after the present of a university. Um, and the title registrar comes from the Latin registrare, which means uh, to do all the things the faculty don't want to do. <laughs> um, I wouldn't look that up. Don't cite me. Um, and so that's what I do. I'm the registrar at a Research One public institution here in um, Virginia. 
George Mason University. I've worked at a bunch of different places, five um, institutions prior to Mason. I was the registrar at American University, which is just up the street in DC. Um, prior to AU, I was an associate registrar at the George Washington University, also in DC. Um, before that, I worked at Michigan State University, another big public research institution, and I kicked the whole thing off uh, at the University of Notre Dame in South Bend, Indiana. So my wife was in law school at Notre Dame when I was laid off from IBM, and so I landed in the registrar's office there, uh, and really under the mentorship and tutelage of uh, now-retired Dr. Harold Pace, uh, he sort of launched me on this path of working in higher ed. And I've really found the work to be incredibly rewarding. It's very challenging. Um, There's not like a regular thing that registrars do. We do many, many things. And so day to day, there's a lot of different things that come up all the time. For example, we're responsible for everything from the academic calendar to classroom scheduling to um, resolving policy and practice issues. But primarily, we are the steward of all student academic data. And way back in the day when all of that was on paper, we we were literally responsible for maintaining the sanctity of the record. And so at Michigan State, they still have a giant vault where all of the historical records are kept, which is pretty amazing. A lot of schools have moved uh, and had all those things microfilmed or microfiched. Um, and then as we move through, uh, increasingly digitally imaged, et cetera. Um, over the last, I don't know, 15 or 20 years and more um, accelerated recently, institutions are really understanding that data is an incredibly valuable asset institutionally, and student data in particular is incredibly valuable. And so it's really registrars who are the gatekeepers of that data. My friend Heather Abbott um, just did a presentation at ACRO on the, the sort of nuanced interpretations of FERPA and the application of those rules um, and how um, that comes about and plays out in, in real life. So if I had to sum it up uh, as a registrar, we're the steward of student academic data. Uh, and we're also one of those central hubs for student services, faculty services, and alumni services for an institution. So that's you know, what I do now. <laughs> one of those, um, you know, registrars are one of the three positions in high ed, uh, higher ed generally that I would never want to be. Um, and, and I just say that. <laughs> no, I hear that a lot. I hear it a I lot. I don't want to be a university president. I don't want to be a dean of students. And I don't want to be a registrar. Like those are the three things that Logan will never do in higher ed. Um, what and is I just it about? That, yeah. What is it about registrying that scares you away? Catalog and curriculum. Yeah. That that's well done. Me. Well that done. Is the, the 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 politics behind that and keeping up with university uh-huh. catalogs and all of that fun stuff. That is the thing that I'm sure is very rewarding on some level. <laughs> <laughs> but not necessarily my level. Like I'm the marketing guy. I like promoting our programs and I enjoy talking about them. Man, I don't like, I would not enjoy writing descriptions for them. It definitely takes a special kind of person to work in a registrar's office. Um, but it it's not all doom and gloom and um, 
you know, nitpicky type A people. There's a lot of that. But one of the things I love about being a registrar and especially um, working with the faculty senate, for example, or working with any of the curriculum uh, committees that I've participated in is that like these are people who are really passionate about what they do. And they're happy to talk to you about it. Faculty members are happy to talk to you about it. Um, and if you demonstrate any sort of interest in uh, listening to them or engaging with them about what it is that they do, it's a magical time. And that can be like, you know, a brief exchange or it can be like relationships that you build and establish and are like, this is amazing. I love hearing about this. Um, and then there are also like curriculum management is um, a challenge. It's really the classroom assignments where the politics get mm -hmm. come into play. And that's always been a, a academic scheduling has always been one of those things that is um, exceptionally challenging I would say it's a party. It is. It is. Um, there's a limited set of resources um, and faculty continue to come up with creative ways to offer courses, which is exactly the kinds of things we want our faculty to do and that exactly. our students expect. Um, but it makes it crazy to try and do that sort of three dimensional Tetris game of like, you need a set number of offering types right. so that you know what you're dealing with. You can fit them all in uh, to the, the spaces that you have available. And of course, nobody wants to teach first thing in the morning. Nobody wants to teach um, on Thursday or Friday afternoons. Um, you know, Saturday or Sunday, faculty could have the pick of the litter <laughs> for their classrooms. But yeah. it's hard to get faculty to to commit to teach then it's hard to get students to register for classes then yeah so it, it's one of those things where i think as we reflect on the lessons of the pandemic and the way that we were forced to be more flexible with how we offer classes and um the way that we even build the schedule the way we approach the schedule um is going to be one of the things that really pushes higher ed forward um, a year ago now, let's say 18 months ago, I could never have imagined telling 100% of the faculty at any institution, you will all now teach online. Go. Like, that is just not a thing that would have gone over. You, you couldn't have convinced the faculty senate or anybody else to buy into that. And so not having the ability to say no to that, but instead having to find the yes in that situation, push the online delivery of course content forward, I think leaps and bounds. And, right. and we, higher education, are going to continue to see sort of the benefit of that over the next, you know, five years maybe. Yeah. Has has technology made your job easier? So I think about you know the uh, the, the registrar's office at Penn State um, used to be on the first floor of the building where I worked when I was in the admissions office, and it was one of these places that had like this big open lobby to accommodate the days when lines of students would show up to actually physically register for their classes in person. And I'm thinking, on the one hand, like this is so it's it's probably so much easier now to just do it all online, but I imagine that that 
in, in some ways, it's like a just a, a simpler thing to have people show up and do it in person. For example, I'm sure you can name me a dozen other processes that were maybe on paper or some sort of manually done when you started your career that are now, you know, fully online in some way. I'm just curious how you think about that evolution. Yeah, technology has made the registrar's office evolve again in ways that we were forced to. Um, and then once we have gotten into sort of the mix, and this actually, it, it wasn't, let me back up. Everybody remembers Y2K, yes? Yes. Mm-hmm. Logan, for the youngins, that was when 1999, Prince set it up for us and we partied like it was. I graduated it, from high school in 99, <laughs> so I remember this. I remember this. Yeah. Uh, were you so, rollerblading then, in 1999? Or had you I stopped I was by rollerblading then? in 1999. <laughs> it was cool in then. It was cool then, yeah. Um, so in the year 2000, in the year 2000, everything, all the computers were going to recognize 2000 as 1900 and just stop working. Planes were going to fall from the sky. Cats would be sleeping with dogs. It'd be chaos. None of that came to pass. And one of the reasons is that we collectively, society, the United States uh, and others, poured billions of dollars into IT infrastructure. And it was really at that point, again, like these um, seismic shifts in technology adoption and technology capabilities, that's where the launch forward um, really started to accelerate for registrar's offices and the processes. I say start to launch forward because there are many, many registrar's offices, Mason's registrar's office included, where we still have paper forms or, you know, fillable PDFs that are, you know, that's an advancement. Technology overall has not made the office easier, has not made the work of the office easier. In many ways, it's magnified the work of the office. Um, And as institutions recognize that value in student data, it's shifted the work of the office from that of, you know, record keeper, um, record clerk to really data analyst. Um, I I talk about my job in in three ways. I'm like an IT salesman, um, a politician, and, you know, a records clerk kind of a way because – we have to know what's out there, what's what's capable with the systems. Then we have to assess sort of how that might help us in the work that we're trying to do. Then we have to pitch that idea to somebody in the university system. Um, and then we have to get funding, et cetera. And in the meantime, we still have to dot all the I's and cross all the T's and make sure that when a student you know, from 1973 orders a transcript that we produce it correctly. So it, it hasn't, back to your original question, technology hasn't made the work easier. It has changed the work. Um, It has made some aspects of the work simpler. Uh, I remember when academic scheduling, again, was done on a giant board with a bunch of three by five cards uh, and later post-it notes because you could stick and move them. Uh, And so the fact that there are applications, usually third-party vendors, provide scheduling software to optimize classroom placement and things like that. That's definitely easier, no doubt. Um, but being able to knock that out in you know a six-hour run versus a three-week 
manual process, it it leaves open the the door for all of these other responsibilities. Mm-hmm. So. Um, so we should say too that you are also a podcaster, uh, and I, I want am. you. I want you to to tell us about that. But I saw that um, you claim something that we can't claim on this show, and that you also compose your own theme song. Is that, <laughs> that right? is correct. That is correct. Um, and so the podcast is called For the Record. It's a, a registrar focused podcast. It's sponsored by the American Association of Collegiate Registrars and Admissions Officers, ACRO. Uh, and about, I don't know, I forget the year. It's been maybe two or three years. Um, Acro staff is here in DC. I'm, I'm in DC. We're in Northern Virginia, but it's same. We're in the neighborhood. And so they called me and, um, went down to their office and hung out with Melanie Gottlieb, who's going to be the acting, uh, executive director of Acro as Mike Riley retires. And she said, we're thinking about uh, ways that we can engage the membership and get more you know, content out and more topical things in a faster way than waiting for the annual meeting or the state and regional meetings. And we want to start a registrar-focused podcast. And I laughed and laughed in her office. I remember it vividly. I was like, that is really silly. No one is going to listen to that. And then she turned and said, and I want you to host it. And I was like, okay, let's do this. Um, and I still wasn't sure that anybody was going to listen to it. I figured my mom would listen to it maybe. Um, and so I had about three or four months to work on, you know, sort of scheming out the, the first season. And, uh, I wasn't sure that it would go beyond the first season. Um, we're about to start the fourth season now. Um, and so, yeah, as part, I thought, you know, registrarring, is not like uh, people are not going to stumble on this podcast to be like, what is registrarring? We should check this out. <laughs> so, so I was like, I wanted to write a little bop. Uh, and so I did that. Um, and I couldn't play the piano part that I wrote because I, I, I wrote the music and then I tried to play it. I couldn't play it. So I asked my friend Andy Brenner to play the piano part and he came up with a nice little, I don't know, I think it's a vibraphone on top of it as well. And then I played the guitar uh, and it's instrumental. And so, but yeah, it's like a, you know, 45 second little <laughs> intro thing and it's fun. Uh, and then I was doing, I was a, um, a faculty member in a workshop called Reg 101 uh, where we teach new registrars how to be registrars. Uh, and we were finishing up that uh, workshop and I convinced all of the participants, there are probably 20, 25 people, um, to yell for the record for me. And so that's like the little, um, at the end of the theme song is all of these people yelling for the record, which made me laugh really hard at the time. And it's been, it's been fun. It's been fun. So that's great. On the podcast, for the record, um, we talk about registrar issues, uh, everything from data governance, uh, the history of the student record. We talk about ways that registrars can engage with students and faculty and staff. And more recently, um, some more topical things where um, like the violence against Asians uh, is a big problem. And so we talked to the AAPI caucus, the ACRO 
Asian American Pacific Islander Caucus, um, just to make sure that that community recognizes that we as ACRO see them and we're with them. Um, talked to the ACRO Black Caucus um, over a couple of episodes talking about diversity, equity, and inclusion, ways that we can incorporate that into our day-to-day registrarring lives. Uh, I think that working in higher ed is a vocation. I feel like being the registrar is social justice work. We have the ability to affect people's lives in a very positive way in higher education. And I think that that kind of mission needs to, I want more people who are registrars to buy into that overtly. I think a lot of people would say, yes, I'm doing work that's important, but I want us to be able to talk about it in um, open ways. And as a white male, cisgendered, heterosexual man, I, I have a lot of privilege that I feel like if I'm going to use, it needs to be now. Like there, there's not a time to wait for it. So that's sort of the angle that I take in the the podcast. That's kind of awesome. I was actually kind of surprised myself um, that there was a podcast on <laughs> and, and But to be Me honest, <laughs> to be honest, I, I wasn't too surprised because there's literally a podcast for everything. But I didn't realize there would be one that would be just that interesting. Um, <laughs> and, you know, let me, let me say this. You know, I, I, I sit here and I joke about registrar's office and registrars and, and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, my experience at Belmont, our registrar folks are some of the hardest working, amazing people that I have ever met. Like, they make sure we're, I think we're in the minority of schools that literally give students their diploma when they graduate and the amount of work that they do to make that happen and to get them all in line, make sure every single one of them gets the one with their name on it is just amazing. And, you know, that's one thing that they do. That's just one little thing that they do. And I say it's little, because it's not little, but it's one of many, many, it, it's little compared to the other stuff that they do. Well, it, and it's it also really behind is. the scenes. Like it's yes, all it like out of the spotlight type of work. And our students, I would say that a good chunk of them don't realize that this doesn't happen at other schools. Like, and and we're a good mid-sized school. I mean, we have 8,200 students. Our largest graduation ceremony or graduations um, where we have multiple ceremonies right now, but, uh, you know, 13, 1400 students, that's a lot of diplomas to keep in line, you know? Yes. Yeah. And it, you know, if you watch our, you know, when I watch our live stream, cause I, I do the live stream and everything and we're like all zoomed up, you can see the registrar's <laughs> office folks in their regalia, just checking everything. They, they double check it as it goes through, as the name's called, one person looks at it, hands it to the registrar. He looks at it. Then he hands it to the president and then the president gives it to the student. And That's it's, awesome. it's just great. It's just an amazing system. And it, it, it's one of those little things. And, you know, over the years I've gotten to know our registrar. I've been at Belmont for 13 years and, you know, I've known the registrar since probably my second day at Belmont. And, you know, both of us have grown and, um, 
you know, I don't get to really talk to him as much because he moved. Um, Belmont took the registrar's office and our student financial services office and put them together along with a front facing student services area called Belmont central. Yeah. That's Um, a, that's a consistent model these days. Yeah. We've had it for a, we've had the Belmont central model for a very long time. I think like 20, 25 years, something like that. This pulling them together finally, instead of being, you guys are here and you guys are down the hallway. Now they're all in the same open space. Um, it's really helpful. And and I just don't get to go down there as much as I used to and just talk about stuff. Um, (laughs) and to be, to be honest, I do go down there and talk to them about stuff. Just not, um, usually it's to film some fun video or something. And, And I say that because, um, we do fun videos with them sometimes. Um, but you know, it's not, it's not like it used to be like when your school gets bigger, it does get bigger and people just get farther away. Um, it's not just you doing other things, but you know, I still work with them a lot on their website and all that kind of stuff. I get to do a lot of stuff with them at graduation. Um, and they have such a great sense of humor about things. Um, it's sometimes dark, but, but it's, it's gallows humor sometimes gets you through. Yeah, it does. Um, but, but they're amazing people. And, you know, registrars are actually, this is crazy. You're probably the first registrar we've ever had on the show, but (laughs) registrar's offices back when we created higher ed social, um, like what, six years ago. Um, you know, we wanted people to learn about folks that are in offices that they don't usually engage with. Right. That's the whole point of the show. Um, we say it's breaking silos and the, the silo breaking is really, Hey, you should go meet these people. You're probably scared to talk to them, but I promise you they're real people and they care <laughs> about what they do just as much as you care about what you do. Yep. And there is a common thread, the vocation that you talked about before, um, being in higher ed is a vocation. And that's the common thread that goes through everything that all of us do. We yeah, all we didn't care get about into students. it for the money. <laughs> Yeah, that is that gallows humor that we all say. We're not yeah. in it for the money. Yeah. That's it's not here. It was, but <laughs> but we change lives. And yes, I believe that. I, believe I can't that. bring it. I can't bring it out on the show too much because it would become a bit repetitive. If every every person we talked to, we said, you know what, we change lives. We're changing lives. We're changing lives. One <laughs> one course registration at one a time. Student at a time. <laughs> Right. I do want to go back to something you said, though, about registrar staff being really hardworking um, and that students don't really see it's behind the scenes. Oh, I thought you were going to disagree with me. No, no, no. I was like, no, we are lazy. We just sit back, feed up, bonbons, sip of champagne. The hardest thing we do is wave the um, palm branch Mm -hmm. at us to get the to cool us down. That's a joke. Over the past year, my team has worked harder than I think they ever have. Um, Starting in March of 2020, we literally redid the schedule for summer um, behind the scenes. For fall, we redid the fall schedule as well. We implemented some crazy new policies um, that were meaningful, that that helped students um, 
be more flexible, that helped students give students more options with the way that they uh, continued with their studies. But all of that was seamless to the front-facing end user of the services at Mason. Students were able to log in um, and drop classes late. Faculty were able to report grades that then converted into the alternate grading scheme if the students opted into that automatically. Um, I've told my team a number of times in any other year, the number of things that we were able to pull off, we'd win awards, but it's like everybody did all of this stuff. And, and so it's, we really believe in what we do. We have a great affinity for the students and um, for the faculty and the alums and people work very hard, I think, because they care and, and that's, shouldn't be overlooked, shouldn't be lost on people. Did you have contingency plans in place for any of those changes or were you just kind of doing it all on the fly? Um, hilariously, we have a COOP, a continuity of operations plan, um, that we realized <laughs> there's nothing like a, a pandemic to help you assess <laughs> whether your continuity of operations plan is viable or not. Um, it, in most cases, ours was great, and it was it, it was perfect that we had spent some time working on that leading up to um, March. I think we do an annual review that finished up in November, so it wasn't like the day before. Um, shifting to a hundred percent virtual work, we that was the contingency plan, um, and we were able to do that relatively easily. Almost everybody in the office has laptops as their primary machine. Um, we did have to have some people come into the office and continue to come into the office to retrieve the mail and, and things like that. Um, after it, when we realized that it was going to be more than like the, you know, the two weeks or four weeks that people would be working from home, um, we staggered people in to pick up additional supplies. Um, so a bunch of us have Vera desks so that we can stand while we're working. Um, people took those home. People took their extra monitor home. A couple of people took their office chair. You know, And so just making sure that people had what they needed in order to be able to continue to do their job, that was a big you know, to-do and a lift. Um, in terms of the policies, we did not have contingency plans in, in place. And so like a lot of quick thinking um, and the provost office would say to me, we need to know if we can implement option one, two, or three. Um, and then I would say option one, no problem. Option two, iffy. Option three would be very challenging. And so then they'd bring option one and option two to the faculty Senate and to the grad council to see like w what the faculty's feelings on things were. Um, but that was a really important part of the thing as well as to be like centrally involved. And um, I feel like the contribution that my office made to how well the university continued operating um, is enormous. And that's true, I think, for many, many, many registrar's offices across these United States. Uh, I know a bunch of registrars, like uh, Jenna and I were talking, we're in the middle of the 106th 
annual meeting for ACRO. It's one of the oldest higher ed professional associations. And um, registrars are great people. Um, they're an aging population generally. And so there's a lot of, um, there's some concern about the knowledge that we may lose in the next five to 10 years as people retire and move out of the, of the industry. And so one pitch is that if you would like some job security as a young higher ed professional, get into a registrar's office because there's going to be a lot of openings in the next yeah. you know, five to 10 years. And it's important work. It's really, you know, it's important work. What, what you got to do is start s- talking to those RAs and, um, mm. and you know, front tour guides That's and, right. say and tour orientation guides. students. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, because they always end up going to admissions or student affairs. Or I'm sorry, well, those are like sexy things where they're like, we're young, we're hip, we're out, we're selling our school. And like ACRO is registrars and admissions officers. And when I started, you know, 20 years ago, I was a young snot-nosed kid and well, I was in my thirties at the time, but that's fine. It's fine. Um, and like you could walk into the vendor hall and glance around and be like, registrar, registrar, admissions, 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 registrar, definitely registrar, admissions, admissions, like just from w- what people looked like, how they carried themselves, whether they were wearing, <laughs> you know, swag or not. Like it's, it's a different, it's a different type of person who becomes a registrar. So, but maybe we need, we need to, well, here's the thing. Brand you can have the, you can have the sexy jobs. That's what I'm talking about. But <laughs> you're making registrars cool again. That's a, that's a more well, diplomatic way to say it. I'm bringing registrars you can't, back. You can't yeah. have the sexy, you can't have the sexy admissions jobs. If no one has classes to take. That's well, true. And honestly, I don't know. I mean, as somebody who was on the road in, in admissions, that the the road life gets old. If you're listening to this show and you're in your – well, maybe you haven't even gotten a chance to do it because everybody's been at home. But, uh, you know, the after like two or three years, you're ready to be done with staying at the Marriott by yourself every night for eight weeks. At least I was. And talking anyway. to grubby high schoolers. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because, I mean, that's that's like the dark side of admissions is like we have to go talk to this high school counselor again. And their parents. And as we learned with and our parents, previous episode. Oh, the parents. And in our previous episode, you know, student affairs can get real tiring real fast, mm-hmm. too. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, dealing Dealing with that. Now, registrar, you have, except when, you know, a pandemic happens, you have this beautiful <laughs> schedule of things that you do. Every year at the same time, you know, look, look at that. It's not, it's not <laughs> staying in a Marriott unless you go to a conference when you want to go. Yeah. When exactly. you want to go or, right. you know, you're not dealing with, I mean, you deal with parents. Let's be, let's be fair. We deal with a lot of parents, uh, more parents than we should. In, but in, it's not oh. dealing with, with Billy or Susie, you know, getting drunk and getting arrested. Like you don't have, you're not dealing with that. You're dealing on whether they could get into the class that they wanted to get into, mm-hmm. um, which right. is different. It is. It is probably less life threatening. Um, <laughs> nobody like people's lives probably don't depend on it quite as much. I'm I sure tell people that all the time. Like we're not doing brain surgery. Mm-hmm. Like these things, the, the work that we do is important. It's important to do our best. It's important to get it done in a timely manner. There are deadlines for a reason. People are depending on us to do things, to publish the schedule so that academic advisors can advise the 
300 students a day that they have to crank through in order to have everybody through by the time registration opens. But in most cases, the things that we do can give a day, a week, um, they can slide. And so like, it's really about finding that balance and recognizing what we can accomplish on that, you know, hard stop time limit. Uh, and then focusing on those things and making sure that they get done in, in to the best of our abilities. And the other stuff, you know, it's important, but uh, to your point, nobody's going to die if it doesn't get done. And, and I try to, everywhere I've worked, I've tried to uh, instill that kind of uh, let's, let's keep important what's important. Let's work really hard on the rest of the stuff. But at the end of the day, if it doesn't, happen for the rest of the stuff there's tomorrow and yeah. we'll, it'll be here yeah so thank you for that that uh that a uh, reminder doug and maybe <laughs> uh maybe this is this is a good way to kind of wrap it up but if people are interested in learning more maybe making a transition into the registrar's office i think i know a podcast that can help them learn more about what it's all about yeah for the record there you go Fire it up. It's got a sweet little bop to begin. <laughs> you'll listen one time. You'll be like, yeah. yeah. They, won't, they won't go any, any farther past that first 45 I know. They'll seconds. be like, what? Your, your, your downloads just go. <laughs> 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 like 30 seconds in. They're like, yeah. Mm. yeah. That, that four chord intro was, that was enough. <laughs> but hey, you've cornered the market. You've cornered the market. Mm, yeah. That's right. That's right. And every school has at least one registrar, um, if not an associate registrar or five. Mm -hmm. That is true. That's true. So this has been great. Thank you so much for having me. This is, I really appreciate it. And this is really fun. It's great to talk to you guys. Hey, it's always great to have other podcast hosts on the show. It makes me happy. Um, and, and we always have lots of fun and listeners head down to higher ed.social, get links to the stuff we talked about today, including, you know, a link to subscribe to for the record. Um, but before you subscribe to that, subscribe to us too. If you haven't already, um, if you like the show, please give us a review on Apple podcasts. It helps people find us and it lets us know what you think of the show. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter at H E S podcast. Send us a tweet. We love talking to you and don't forget to let us know if you want to be on the show. Higher Ed Social was created by Jackie Petrano and Logan Bishop and is produced by the amazing Emma Haas. We're part of the Connect EDU network, the first podcast network for higher education. Visit the website connectedu.network and subscribe to some awesome shows no matter where you work on campus. Thanks, and we'll see you in a couple weeks. <laughs>